So back in October, I preached five sermons on the biblical doctrine of baptism. Today's message is a uh, stand-alone message, baptism and newness of life. And shortly, seven individuals will be baptized before this congregation as a testimony to the salvation that they received by trusting in Christ as their Lord and their Savior. So baptism is an act of obedience on their part because it is a biblical command. I'm going to give a scripture up here not related to water baptism, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. By one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we have all been made to drink into one spirit. So this is speaking not about water baptism, but by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is really an, an invisible baptism, which occurs when a person receives Christ and the Spirit of God baptizes that individual or places them into the body of Christ. And then, then the indwelling of the Holy Spirit begins at the same time. So that spirit baptism is synonymous with regeneration, the new life that they received. But it should be easy for everyone to see the inconsistency in having been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ and not being obedient to water baptism. Spirit inspired the scripture, so it's the same spirit who baptizes into the body of Christ who is commanding everyone to be baptized as a testimony of their new life in Jesus Christ. So not only is baptism a, an act of obedience, initial obedience, it's an expression of the desire of those who are being baptized to live the rest of their life into a life of obedience to Christ as a new creation in Jesus Christ. So newness of life begins with receiving Christ as one's personal Lord and Savior. Colossians 2.6 says this, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. The word there, having received, is paralambano, and it means to take to oneself, to, re to receive something that has been transmitted. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So what the Corinthians received was the non-negotiable non gospel, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they received that. They took it, took it unto themselves personally. So salvation is a personal relationship. Christianity is not a religion among the religions of the world. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.9 says, As we said before, so I say again, if any man preach any other gospel than this one which Paul declared, 1 Corinthians 15, if any man re receives, if preaches another gospel, 
other than the one that you have received, he says, let him be damned. Let him be anathema. Let him be cursed. So everyone here today in this group being baptized has heard the clear gospel message many times. The message of Christ's death on the cross. He died in place of your sins. His burial. His resurrection from the dead. And each of you have received it. So our process is we announce that we're going to do a baptism. And the people who would like to respond to that invitation come forward. We give them a study to do on baptism. They complete a written out part of that study that is their testimony. And then they meet with at least two of the elders. And we would go, go from there to make certain that they understand. And as best as we can tell that they're truly saved. But Paul says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So once an individual receives Christ as a Savior, the Christian, the Christian life begins for most. So some people delay their baptism, they're saved and before that. But especially with a lot of the younger ones, they get they hear the gospel, they want to be baptized. Many of them are enthused about doing that. And then they're they have to live the rest of their life as a believer. So walk is a metaphor for a Christian way of life. And when Paul says, walk ye in him, it's a present tense verb calling for continual action. Prior to salvation, everyone in this room, if you're here this morning and you're a believer, I want you to think for a moment what your life was like before you were a Christian. You had a walk too. You walked in the way of the world under satanic influence. Ephesians 2.1, And you he made alive, that's the new birth, who were dead or alienated from God in trespass and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. So why do people do the things they do that sometimes we get so upset with them? They're doing what is perfectly natural for unsaved people to do. They can't do otherwise. We get upset with unsafe politicians who are doing what unsafe politicians should be doing. They're following the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, he is the ruler of this age, the Bible says. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So that's, that's what every one of us was before we were saved. And the unsaved walk in the counsel. They walk in the advice of other unsaved individuals. Blessed is the man who walks what? Psalm 1.1. Not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the, in the congregation of the wicked. They're walking in the counsel of the ungodly. TikTok, right? All of these social apps and things that are flooding the minds of young people, influencing them. What takes place when a young person goes to a school, particularly a public school, and they receive advice, counsel from their, their, their peers? 
adults, same way. Counsel the ungodly. Listen, I know you can get bad advice from Christians. You are not likely to receive bad advice from Christians who are walking close with the Lord. And one thing that I have observed over my the many years of my life, especially the last 30-some years in ministry, is that young people, and it's, it's growing more and more, young people do not desire the counsel of their elders. Not, not every young person, but many of them. They don't, they don't desire the counsel of their mom and dad. Many of them don't desire the counsel of their spiritual authorities or their, their grandparents. They are intent on doing what they want to do. That, that's the trend, and it has been that way for many years. I have given counsel to many young people, many, who rejected that counsel to their spiritual harm. Their mother and fathers have given them counsel, and they've rejected that counsel. Their grandparents have given them counsel, and they rejected that counsel to their spiritual harm. There's a story in 1 Kings chapter 12. I'll just read it for the sake of time. Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the new king, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burden, the burden and the service of his father and his heavy yoke which he put upon us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, Depart for, three, for me for three days. Come back. And the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he lived and said, how do you advise me to answer these people? So here's the advice to the elders. They spoke to him saying, if you will be a good a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak, speak pleasantly to them, then they will be your servants forever. In other words, be kind to them, be, cash, be compassionate with them. But it says he rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he consulted the young men who had grown up with him, his peers. And he said, what advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the, the yoke which your father put upon us. And you know what the young men said? Don't do that. Make it tougher on them. They need to know who's boss. So he told them, don't lighten the load. Make the load heavier. And he accepted their counsel. His own harm. I think that this trend has to do with the lack of respect for the elders. But it began some time ago. I could see the rebellion in the 60s and the 70s, but it, I think it's just with the technology and everything. It's just, it's just different. Family structure is different. It's broken down, really. But the Bible says a lot about respecting one's elders. Leviticus 19.32 urges the people to stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elder, elderly and revere your God. When have you ever seen that? Proverbs 13.23, we mentioned how the husband of a woman 
with noble, honorable character, is respected in the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Lamentations 5.12 bemoans how the princes have been hung up by their hands. The elders are shown no respect. Deuteronomy 28.50 warns about a fierce-looking nation without respect for the old or any pity for the young. 1 Timothy 5.1, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. One preacher wrote, life is too complicated and I am simply too weak to make it through by myself without the counsel of others, their correction, their advice, their encouragement. I need wise and godly counsel. And who can give that to me except a man or a woman, as Paul says, who holds the truths of the faith, the deep truths of the faith, with a clear conscience. Those are the people you want to go to for advice. People who have walked with the Lord for a long time and hold the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They know the truth and they have lived it out in front of others. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch for you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. So you young people especially, respect your mom and dad, respect your elders. Ephesians 6, 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long upon the earth. They'll give you good advice. The Christian walk is, is a walk in the spirit, though. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, when you walk physically, right? Everybody walked here, right? Did you have to think about it? When you walk, you have to think, well, I'm going to put one foot here. What's next? You just, you just learned to do it automatically. It's a very simple repetitive motion. One foot is lifted up, placed on front of the other. The other foot follows the same pattern. The spiritual walk is like going on autopilot. You shouldn't have to think much about doing the right thing. You shouldn't have to deliberate on it. If it's the right thing to do before God, do it. It's pretty simple, right? And the more you do it, the more automatic it becomes in your life. And really, I think that's the key to a, to a successful Christian life. Because you're submitting to the Holy Spirit, and He is controlling your life. And that's what it means to walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So you received Christ Jesus as. By the initial exercise of faith, now you have to continue in your Christian life by trusting in to him, trusting in him, who has given to you the Holy Spirit as your chief counselor. And how does God, the Holy Spirit, counsel us? How does God, the Holy Spirit, counsel us? 
through his word, through his word. A wise old preacher, Albert Barnes, once said, continue in those views of Christ, live in the maintenance of them, let them regulate your whole conduct, live and act wholly under the influence of the thoughts which you had of the Savior when you first embraced him. So never turn away from your first love. And that's Jesus Christ. Don't permit anyone or anything to turn you aside from Jesus Christ. That's the commitment that you're making here this morning. That's what you're telling these people here this morning. That I'm going to live my life for Jesus Christ. And the Christian walk is newness of life, and baptism signifies that. Romans 6.1, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How, will we, how shall we who died to sin any, live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, which you are going to be doing shortly, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. So to continue that walk in newness of life, you have to be rooted in the faith as you have been taught. Colossians 2.6 says this again, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. I worked for a few years back in the 70s with a land surveyor. I was a transit man, and my job was to drive the stakes into the ground and, you know, help take the readings, and then he did all the math and figured everything all out. But in the wintertime, sometimes you'd drive a stake in the ground, and then, you know, ground would get really rock solid, frozen. But we always would go back later on, maybe two, three weeks later, maybe a month later, and we'd have to pull those stakes out of the ground. And uh, they did not come out of the ground very easily. You know why? Because they were frozen. They were rooted in the ground. That's why oak trees don't, don't topple very easily. They're firmly rooted in the ground. So rooted means to be securely established. Securely established. The faith of some professing Christians is not well-rooted. And that's why they're easily moved from one thing to another. Like it says in Ephesians, he, gave, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But then he says this, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried away with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So if you're rooted, if you're rooted in the faith, or if you're rooted in the word of God, you won't be carried away. You won't be tricked by anybody. It means to be securely established. Here's what Jeremiah says. I like, I like this portion of scripture. Blessed is the man who what? Trusts in the Lord. And who's what? Say it with me. Whose hope is in the Lord. 
For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will he cease from yielding fruit. The planting is salvation. The planting is salvation. And that new life begins when you're planted firmly in the soil of the gospel, trusting in Jesus Christ, and your sins are completely forgiven. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, it says, You were washed. Not in this water. You were washed by the blood of Christ. You were sanctified. That means you were set apart for God. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And he says, a person, a person like that will not fear. Will not fear. That means you're going to have confidence when you face the adversities of life which are going to come your way. The green leaf that Jeremiah mentioned after you're planted. The green leaf and fruit bearing is Christian maturity. Here's another wonderful verse for you. A couple of verses. Isaiah 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Who is that speaking about? Who is that speaking about? Jesus. To preach good tidings to the poor. He applied this to himself in a synagogue in Nazareth. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. And Jesus didn't quote that verse because it hasn't happened yet. So he closed the book at that first portion to comfort all who mourn. But I like this verse, the third verse. Look at this. To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees, oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Isn't that beautiful? So God has taken each one here this morning who is about to be baptized, each of you, and his desire is that you will be a tree of righteousness, an oak of righteousness. It's really not the oak tree as we know it. In Hebrew, it's the terebinth tree, which is more like a shrub, lots of foliage. It's a very, very hardy and strong tree because it has an extensive root system, which enables that tree to remain green no matter where it's planted. And that's what God is saying he wants you to be. He wants you to be an oak tree of righteousness, a terebinth tree. And you're going to show forth the, the glory of the Lord by the life that you live. Built up in him indicates the placing of one layer upon another, like laying bricks. The idea is to engage in a building process of personal and corporate development. So there's a personal part of your spiritual life 
It requires you to study, to be a brain, to pray, to do all of those things. But there is also a corporate aspect of the Christian life. And it's this community of faith and other communities of faith just like this, where iron sharpens iron, where you come and where you grow, where you're instructed by Sunday school teachers and so forth. It's the process of becoming a mature Christian. And in order to become a mature Christian, you need other mature Christians. And then you help others someday to become mature Christians. Jude 20, but you, beloved, building yourself up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Ephesians 2.19, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows to a holy temple in the Lord. That's what every church is supposed to be like. In whom you are also being built up together for a dwelling place of God, habitation of God in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. When he says he wants you to be established in the faith, that means God wants you to be rock-solid Christian. He wants you to be mature. Paul says when he became a mature believer, he put away childish things. It's unfortunate that many Christians who are adults don't put away, they don't, they don't put away childish things, worldly things. I watched a documentary the other day on Bart Starr. How many of you know of or ever heard of Bart Starr? Yeah, none of you young people, right? He was an NFL quarterback. He quarterbacked first year, the Green Bay Packers, legendary team, went on to win championship after championship. He came in 1959. In 1958, the Green Bay Packers had a record of 1-10-1. When Bart Starr took over as quarterback, I think they, they were like 500 or so, close to that. And then they went, went on to win championship after championship after championship. Not necessarily because of Bart Starr. He was a great part of it. But because of a man named Vince Lombardi. When you, the Super Bowls played, they hold up the what? The Lombardi Trophy. So he came into this team that was 1-10-1. They had, a, they had a, a culture of losing. A culture of quitting. And Vince Lombardi said this to the team. Gentlemen, from henceforth, we will chase perfection. And we will chase it relentlessly, knowing all the while that we will never attain it because we're human. But along the way of chasing perfection, which we won't attain, we will catch excellence. Now, that's a great quote. 
So you strive, you strive to win, you strive for the top. You strive to, for perfection in Jesus Christ because you're sinners, you're not going to attain it. But if that's your constant desire, you will attain excellence. Philippians 1 verse 8, God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are what? Excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of the righteousness which by, are by Jesus Christ unto the glory of God. So here's what I want to say, especially to these of you being baptized. Pursue excellence in your Christian life. Don't settle for anything less. Don't let the world sell you something less than excellence, than perfection. Strive for perfection and you'll attain excellence. That's what Jesus Christ wants from you. And you know what? He wants it from all of us. And that's, that's what Jesus Christ deserves from all of us. Because he gave everything for us. Everything.